Hi, this is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. I'm here once again with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre, and we're once again recording at Nutmeg with our engineer, Frank Verderosa. Our guest this week is a disc jockey radio personality, former game show host, and one of the most active and recognized voice actors of the past 40 years. He started out his career at the ripe old age of 15, just like someone else we all know and love. As a DJ at WIRL in Peoria, and would go on to host shows on top 40 and country music stations everywhere, from Fort Wayne to New York City, developing a collection of character voices as he went from 1973 to 2007. He was the essential part of the popular Imus in the Morning show, entertaining audiences with a vast repertoire of celebrity impersonations, including Richard Nixon, Andy Rooney, John Wayne, Howard Cosell, and General George Patton. In 1978, he replaced former podcast guest Chuck McCann as the voice of Cocoa Puffs mascot, Sonny the Cocoa Bird. Cocoa Bird. A Cuckoo Bird, <laughs> yes. And, and a year later, he was replaced... He replaced the original actor, Jim Ducas. 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 <laughs> as you Jim, really should read these Jim, before. Jim Ducas. <laughs> Jim Ducas. Yeah. As the voice of the Lugosi-esque serial pitchman, Count Chocula. He's also lent his voice to dozens of commercials from everything from Skittles to Mighty Dog to the games, the game operation, and hungry, hungry hippos, <laughs> but to millions of kids who came of age in the 1980s and 90s, he'll forever be known as the voice of Lion O, the leader of the humanoid alien super team. Thundercats, voicing numerous characters for this show as well as Rankin-Bass follow-up companion series, Silverhawks. And if all this wasn't enough to <laughs> earn her admiration, he also served on the one-time host of the legendary TV game show, Bowling for Dollars. Please welcome to the show a man of a thousand voices, our very own... Pin pal, Larry Kenny. Oh my God! Thank you, Gilbert. You know, I, <laughs> some some of those things were accurate. Uh, well, I'm 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 listening to him do that, and I'm thinking, who is this guy? <laughs> I, this is a guy I want to meet. He did yeah. all of that, you know. But when you think about it, it's not that much. But uh, <laughs> you know, I I, I uh, my son Tanner. Tanner is here with he, us. He's here yes. uh, in the other room. He's not allowed in the studio. With his right wife, now. Katie. They're here. That's right. Lovely and, people. And um, he, he got me on. He, he's been listening for since you started, I think. And yeah. he just always, you know, going on and on. you got to listen to Gilbert's podcast. So I listen, and 
And then I knew I was, you know, I was being invited to, to be on the show. Mm-hmm. And as I'm listening to the shows, I listened to uh, just last night to Richard Benjamin. Uh-huh. This is a great show. Yeah, it was one of our best. Uh, Tony Orlando. I listened to oh, yes. quite a lot of that. And as I'm listening to him, I thought, what the hell am I doing there? Because, you know, you would come on at the beginning of each one saying, our guest today is an actor who's won 14 Oscars and as a singer uh, has been on the charts uh, for, for 37 weeks in a row. He'll be opening uh, later this week on Broadway in the title role of Waiting for Godot. <laughs> and, and he invented oxygen. <laughs> so I'm thinking, so, so why does he want me there? What am I going to talk about, you know? Well, you got plenty to talk about. Well, that's a, that's an accurate Gilbert impression, except for the fact that you read the co- you did the copy straight and clean. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good, Gil. Thank you. Yeah, we've had several people do you he, on the show. He, he didn't misread oxygen. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> or waiting for Godot. Yes. <laughs> Oh. Now, now, welcome he's... to the show, Larry. Thank you, Frank, very much. Now, since you were the voice of uh, uh, Count Chocula, yeah. and then the, at the same time, they had a, a Boris Karloff voice for yeah. Frankenberry. Wasn't that McFadden? No, no, no. Uh, Bob McFadden did Frankenberry. Yeah, yeah. There was the three. They called them the monster cereals. General and then there Moore. was a, a Peter Lorre. It was a Booberry. It was Booberry. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And I did. Uh, I did. Um, Count Chocula. Yes. Well, I'm still the voice of Count Chocula for that cereal. I, I mean, uh, I'm still the voice of Cocoa Puffs and Count Chocula, although we haven't done any uh, Count Chocula voices, uh, commercials for quite a while. See, because see, we had on uh, Beta Lugosi Jr. Really? We did. And, and he's a lawyer. And one of his biggest uh, cases mm. that he's always after is people doing imitations of established yeah. actors. Uh-huh. Especially Bela Lugosi, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, Lugosi. Yeah. Yeah, that used to be just every cartoon, every yeah. commercial. Well, I remember when I started doing it, it had been done for years by Jim Dukas. Yeah. And um, when I was a kid, he was doing Count Chocula. And and uh, Chuck McCann was, was doing... Uh, Cocoa Puffs. Oh, Sonny. Yeah. yeah, we had Chuck here on Sonny the show. Sonny the Cocoa Puffs bird, yeah. So uh, in 78, I think, uh, I got uh, a chance to start doing Sonny the Cocoa Puffs yeah. bird, which if you don't if you haven't heard of him, uh, then you don't have children because he's all over the television, usually on Saturday mornings and after schools yeah. during com- sure. cartoon shows and things like that. And he sounds like, uh, up here, I won't go cuckoo for my favorite cereal. Munchy, crunchy, chocolatey Cocoa Puffs. Yahoo! I'm cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> How do you get up that high? You have, you were, you, oh, you're I don't want to go, let's don't go into that. <laughs> you obviously a deep voice but, fellow. Because I, I remember as far as like doing known voices years ago, they, you know, there was like Columbo yogurt. Yeah. And they had a guy doing a Peter Falk imitation for all the radio. I remember that. Yeah, I don't either. Yeah, I don't remember that. Yeah, yeah, they were Columbo yogurt. Yeah, so they were ripping off two things: him 
and the Colombo series. The series, yeah. yeah. What did he said? What he probably said, uh, I don't want to bother you, but try Colombo yogurt. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, that. stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. How did Count Chocula happen? Well, Sonny happened first. For me, Sonny McCann happened... was doing it for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Chuck McCann had been doing it, and then, and then from what I understand, uh, he moved to California from New York to do some television, some right, movies out right. there, and it became too difficult for him to fly back, you know, back and forth too expensive or whatever it's funny in those days you couldn't just do it on a computer and send it and send it across the country that's right yeah Yeah. wow now you can and so uh they they auditioned you know again um i don't know probably a couple hundred actors and it was actually pretty easy because um they wanted to maintain the same established voice of sunny they didn't want to you know because the kids were used to it and they didn't want it to, to be obvious that somebody knew was was doing Sonny. So all I had to do was uh, listen to, of course, I had grown up with it, you know, yeah. the voice. And I just had to listen to it over and over till you know, till I got it well enough that I got the job. And then a year or two later, um, Jim Dukas retired, and I won the audition for, uh, for Count Chocula. So uh, it's interesting, uh, you said that uh, Bela Lugosi Jr., yeah, yeah, he's was. cracking down mm. on all yeah. these people who imitate established stars. The Stooges too. Yeah, yeah, I can, of- I can understand that. With with um, Count Chocula, I remember them telling me, uh, even at the audition, we don't want it to sound just like Bela Lugosi. We want it to sound car- more cartoony. So that's what my Count Chocula was more like, Count Chocula cereal with chocolate-flavored marshmallows. It's frighteningly delicious. <laughs> so that wasn't really a Bella Lugosi. A happy yeah. Lugosi, like Lugosi on Prozac. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> no, 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 Lugosi on Cocoa Bar. Uh-huh. <laughs> I heard that one of the greatest stories I've ever heard, Richard Dawson told it many years ago, many, many years ago. I remember, two th- remember the, the interview for two reasons. And I forget who was interviewing him, maybe Dick Cavett. And I'm watching on television. And, my, and the first reason that I remember it so well was I was amazed. I was only a, probably a high school kid at the time. I was amazed. I had never heard anybody, a, a foreigner, a, a British actor, for mm-hmm. example, do an American accent. And he did an American accent very, very well. And I sat there and I thought, well, of course they can do it too, but I never before had <laughs> thought. Didn't, didn't though, it went both ways. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We do accents, of, you know, French accents and German and, and Spanish and all that, but to have them do us it freaked me out. And the second part was uh, that it was such a funny story that Richard Dawson told, and he swore at the time it was true. I can't. I don't think it really was, but it's one of those stories that you wish it, you hope it is. Mm-hmm. You hope it's a true story. This whole show is based yes. on Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you go back into the archives and listen, I, every story I, I we tell. I always say if it sounds good, then it's true. <laughs> the hell with it. Yeah. Print, print yeah. the legend. <laughs> good enough for me if it sounds true. So uh, Dawson tells this story, and I haven't told this in, you know, 50 years, so I hope I get it right. But it's Bela Lugosi has died. And as you probably know, he died penniless, really. He had had a severe heroin problem. Yeah. Lingered for many years and did some movies he wouldn't have done otherwise, you know. Yeah, he got tied in with the Ed Wood. Ed Wood stuff. The only guy who would hire him. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, he died penniless. And Boris Karloff, the story goes, 
was a dear friend of his. Oh, I know this one. Oh, you know this yes. story? And you want to tell him? I don't know it. No, no. no. <laughs> this has to do with Boris Karloff and Peter Laurie. Uh, well, no. No? This one, okay. Different one. This is a, maybe a different one. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll tell mine, then you can tell yours, and sure. we'll, we'll see how they how Okay. They <laughs> so he died, and, and, and um, Boris Karloff is, you know, just devastated. His friend has passed away. And he's more devastated that he's probably going to... If he doesn't do something, he's going to have uh, just a funeral with three people there, you know, and in a, in a wooden box or something. So Karloff gets on the phone and calls every major star in Hollywood and says, you owe it to Bela to be there. You know, he was dear friend of all of us. Well, it turns out that Lugosi had at that time the biggest funeral Hollywood had ever seen, all because of, of, of um, Karloff who, uh, also the story goes, uh, bought hundreds of, maybe probably thousands of dollars worth of flowers. They had like 20 cars of flowers in the, in the you know, the funeral lineup, handing out to the, to the cemetery. So they're at the cemetery now, and Carla, or, or uh, Lugosi's um, <clears throat> religion, whatever it was, or the, from his culture over in Romania, wherever he was from, uh, provided that the casket be left open at the cemetery and that's where you would file by and say your final goodbyes mm-hmm. and then they would you know lower him down the ground <laughs> so the story goes according to dawson that karloff stood there for hours while this eternal line of stars walked by and paid their last respects to bela lugosi and when the last person had gone and the only people there were the grave diggers and Karloff. Karloff walks over to the casket, and they had they had Lugosi with a cape on his cape. Oh yeah, you know, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't think they had the the teeth, but that would be a little tacky. But Karloff walks over, <clears throat> looks down the, in the coffin, and says, "Bela, if you're putting me on." <laughs> That, that's the story. That's, that's I, I heard, heard it, it with Laurie. Where Karloff was standing with Peter Laurie. Uh-huh. And depending on who tells the story, either Boris Karloff says that line or Peter Laurie says that line. Uh-huh. And yeah. I, I, I don't think Karloff and Lugosi were ever friends. Well, and Ed oh, really? Woody calls him a cocksucker. Oh, yes. <laughs> but, 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 but we asked Bela uh, Jr., and he said, my father never used that kind of language. He yeah. was actually very upset when he saw the film. Thou shalt the bullfrogenic, a word from one of our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Boom. It's Gilbert and Frank's Amazing Colossal Podcast. Now, unfortunately, we return to our show. As long as we're on the subject yes. of Count Chocula. <laughs> well, thanks a lot. You've just destroyed the story that I've, you know, yes. has been dear to me for most of my life. Maybe, maybe Karloff walked over and said, Good. Oh, that Don't get be. used to the stories on this show being factual. <laughs> Here, Gil. 
Now this, we're going to just try something fun. All right. Uh, what the hell? Famous we... last words. <laughs> <laughs> now, Gilbert, you were known for doing Dracula Gottfried on the Howard Show. Yes, and, on Howard Stern. And, yeah. and uh, you do a pretty mean Lugosi, and uh, we know what uh, what Larry does. So now, now, the only person missing would, I guess, be Joe Flattery. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, uh, oh you mean Count Floyd? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Floyd. <laughs> but what, what we have here is uh, is Count Chocula and... Uh, and Dracula Gottfried. So I thought we'd give this a try. And your, right. your parts are clearly marked. Okay. You are too late, Van Helsing. Mm. My blood now flows through her veins. She will live through <laughs> the centuries to come as I have lived. Kids love watching the hidden marshmallow ghosts appear in my delicious. I'm doing the wrong that's, damn voice. You're doing I'm Coke doing the sunny wrong Coke the Yeah, that I thought we it was supposed to be I, dueling I, Dracula. I I don't remember at what point in Lugosi's career he ever actually sounded like that. That's a lot of morphine. I, I, I don't remember in any part of Dracula him going. <laughs> you mean you don't remember you don't remember that famous line? Listen to the children of the night. <laughs> what music they make. <laughs> I'm sorry. Take two. Take two. <laughs> I'm cuckoo for blood. <laughs> Uh, you're doing the real uh, Set him up Dracula, again. Yes. and I'm doing the uh, Count Chocula yes. Dracula. Yes, yes, yes. Now yes. I've got Set it. Set him up again. Okay. <laughs> Here we, we can edit this later. Yeah. It's too good. We'll keep it. All right. Give him the last line, Gil. <laughs> okay. <laughs> As I have lived. Kids love watching the hidden marshmallow ghosts appear in my delicious Count Chocula cereal. Despite <laughs> the spider spinning his web for an unwary fly, the blood is the life, Mr. Enfield. Now you can let Igor guard your Count Chocula cereal and get a pack of fun gummy spiders inside my shiny spider box. <laughs> I, a shiny spider box. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. wouldn't touch that line with a ten foot pole. That is actual that, Count Chocula copy. That, that, I'll have you know. That's when Lugosi was doing porn later in his career. <laughs> the girl with the shiny spider box. Yes. <laughs> what music she makes? Go ahead, Gil. You're up. Your line. To die, to be really dead. Must be glorious. There are far worse things awaiting a man than death. Count Chocula now <laughs> offers even more chocolatey marshmallows for a chocolatey fright in every bite. Listen to them, <laughs> children of the night. What music they made. All right. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> that's a great Lugosi. A couple oh, of false starts. Oh, that's great. It worked. I just got a compliment on my Lugosi oh, from Count Chocula. <laughs> <laughs> I have to admit you're scarier than me. <laughs>
<laughs> but you see, I come and I love to be scary. You're frightened the children. You know? <laughs> Were you also uh, almost uh, lucky, the leprechaun? Almost lucky, yeah. the leprechaun. What the story of my life, I was almost oh, lucky. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I had been doing Count Chocula and Cocoa Puffs for a number of years, and the guy who had been doing Lucky, the uh, Lucky Charms leprechaun, yeah. Uh, I, I forget his name now. Arthur, 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 something. Uh, got very old and and could no longer perform, you know, as well as they wanted him to. So they again held auditions, you know, two hundred people, and and I didn't think anything about it. But the next couple of days later, I had a recording session for um, either Count Chocula or Cocoa Puffs, <clears throat> and I walked into the studio, and the the, the director was the same guy, Deed Meyer, uh, from the agency, the ad agency, who directed all of these. They call them the monster cereals, Cocoa Puffs. Well, no. yeah. Count Chocula, um, Frankenberry. Frankenberry, and Booberry. Don't yeah. forget uh, uh, Yummy, yummy, yummy they Mummy. They yummy Mummies for, oh. for about six weeks that last. And Fruit Brute. Fruit Brutes, that's right. Yeah, the yeah. werewolf. So those were called the, the General Mills monster cereals. But they also made, and still do, uh, Lucky Charms and mm-hmm. a couple of them. So uh, I walk into this recording session for uh, one of the other two cereals. And Deedmeyer says to me, Larry, dear boy, you won the audition as uh, Lucky the Leprechaun. I said, oh, really? Good. Yeah. Yes, but I poo-pooed that idea because I told him he's already doing the count and Sonny, if something happens to him, we're out three mascots. I said, I said, well, okay, I understand, Dee, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh, thanks, you just cost me like 50 grand a year, you know. Yeah. But, you know, that's the way it goes. Let's hear a little bit of luck, of your of what your lucky would have been. Uh, always after me lucky charms. It's a little Barry Fitzgerald, right? Uh, of course. <laughs> yeah. all, all my Irish accents are Barry Fitzgerald. <laughs> Toot-toot, my boy. <laughs> now, are there, I mean, I remember, it used to be, like, for cartoon, I mean, major animated Disney cartoons and commercials, there were the voiceover guys. Yeah, yeah. And now it's like voiceover guys are like, you know, Gene Hackman, Sean right. Connery. Gilbert uh, Gottfried. Yes. 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 John Ham. There used to be those voiceover guys. Do you mean the cartoon guys like Mel Blanc and Dawes Butler? Yeah, and, or, or, and or like, guys? Yeah. or they were like, Paul there, was, there was this actor, Norman Rose. Nor- with the deepest voice in the world. Norman yes. Rose. Norman Rose. He, he, his, we called him the voice of God. Yes. And uh, I thought John Fazenda was the voice of God. <clears> well, he, later, after yeah. Norman. Yeah. Right. Norman died about 15 years ago, but... Um, Norman had this very, very deep voice. And there was one commercial, some commercial he did in New York that were, that were indicative of that. Um, I'm the Hemlock Farms deer. Remember that? <laughs> so I'm at an audition one time with Norman Rose for, I don't know what product. It was a, it was a radio commercial. And uh, so it says in the script, voice of God, and then other guy, you know. Well, obviously, Norman's going to yeah, do the voice. Yeah. So he does. We go one take with, as, with him as the voice of God and me as other guy. And uh, the uh, director uh, says, uh, what was her name? Nancy Field. She says, okay, good, good, guys. Uh, switch it around. Larry, you be voice of God. And I thought, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the studio with Norman Rose, you know, the oh, voice yes. of God. But we do it. A few days go by. I get a call from my agent. 
Larry, you're booked on this commercial. Good. I go in there and I grab my copy and I start rehearsing the other guy role. And Nancy says, no, no, Larry, you're doing the voice of God. I said, what, Norman was busy? And she said, I said, how can I, Norman Rose is the voice of God. Yeah. And I said, she said, yes, Larry, but you are the God of voices. Wow. Oh, how nice. That nice? How sweet. You know, it's funny. I remember going to a voiceover session and there was a guy in ahead of me and, and it, it was Norman Rose. Mm. And, and you hear that voice and it, it's so funny with voice these voiceover guys where you go, holy shit, there's an actual person? <laughs> yeah, you see it coming out of him. That's not a machine doing that? Yeah. Yeah, because his voice would rattle the, the walls. I oh, mean, yeah. So he could only be God. You know, he wore a codpiece, Norman. <laughs> Are you serious? I swear to God. Well, that's the first time in 170 shows we've brought up a codpiece. Most people probably don't know what it is. Probably. You explain. Ian it. Anderson, and the lead singer of Jethro Tull, famously wore a codpiece. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's right. It's, yeah. a, it's an external, how do you describe it? It's, it's like an uh, external piece of clothing that goes yeah. over your uh, your, th- your member. Your thing. Your thing. And, yeah. and there was another voiceover guy I knew. Uh, oh, God. Watch me forget his name now. Uh, buh, buh, buh. Lenny Maxwell. Lenny Maxwell. Oh, I knew Lenny yeah. Maxwell. <clears throat> he did great voices. Sure. Too. And and he was he, I remember him telling me and and it's a funny thing about voiceover guys is aside from like crazy voices that they'll do they'll have like like he said I've got about five or six uh, normal voices yeah yeah and and it's funny like they'll have these voices where you say oh no that's just the guy talking yeah, yeah. but they'll have like variations they'll have just a guy talking happy yeah just a guy talking uh serious you know it's very very uh, mm-hmm. incredible it's it, it really is uh the same as being a dialectician in a way you know it's doing different voices and different like as you just described you know um so, so you reminded me of something uh when you mentioned oh you mentioned that it used to be just voiceover guys who did the cartoons and things like that. The reason for that was, up until 20 or 25 years ago, uh, big actors couldn't be caught dead doing commercials. Oh, oh that's what you told me on the phone. Yeah, would they, uh, yeah, which, yeah. Because it considered beneath them. Yeah. And, um, you know, there wasn't that much money available back then, too. They're, you know, because they didn't have to pay us union but people that it, much money. It's funny. Like now, you see, like Academy Award winners sure. in commercials. Yeah. But then, it, it, what started happening? All these people who were too big of artists to do a commercial would go to Japan. Yes, Frank Sinatra <laughs> yeah. did commercials for some car. I believe in he did. Japan for yeah. years, yeah. for years, and and it was stipulation was uh, hard and fast that nobody outside of Japan can ever see these. You know can't be put on television anywhere else or whatever but yeah they did, they didn't i think i think they felt um, most of them that it would seem to the public that they needed the money you know oh yeah yeah and there was also oh this is a question i always wondered with the exception of one episode of family guy 
where they did a takeoff on um, Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd, and they had uh, Noah Noah Blank do the voices, mm-hmm. but he never did any of the Warner Brothers. I think Mel was tr- trying, you know, getting him ready. He was trying to brush him up, but he they never hired him to do those. I remember, <clears throat> pardon me, when Mel Blanc died, I remember hearing that his son, I didn't know his name was Noah. That his, I think it's Noel. Noel. N-O-E-L. Is it? Noel. Noel. I remember hearing that his son was going to take over Bugs Bunny and Yosemite Sam and all those things. And then the next thing you hear is that somebody else has been hired. To, when we, in fact, we started auditioning for all those voices. Uh, and I just assumed that the guy didn't do him well enough. They wanted somebody else to do him. Yeah, I always wondered what uh, Noel was doing all those years. I, mean, you know? <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe you brought up Len Maxwell. Who oh, I, yes. Who I believe, Lenny. and I'm gonna, I hope I'm right on this, was on the Milton the Monster show with your friend McFadden. Probably. Bob McFadden, yeah. who we should also talk about now that we're on the subject of uh, these Bob guys because you uh, worked with Bob on, on Thundercats. I worked with Bob. He's a legend. Uh, yeah, Bob and I worked. His name's come up on this show. Is it? Well, yeah. we were talking about a show called Cool McCool. Yeah. With Bob Bob Kane's oh, show oh, from yeah. the 60s. Cool McCool. And that was, yeah. <laughs> that was Bob McFadden. I think he was also... He was Milton the Monster. Some, some dog. There was a, a dog. Uh... And and there, uh, Milton the Monster, that was a Jim Neighbors imitation. Pretty much. Yeah. He was also Frankenberry. Yeah, he was Frankenberry for many, many years. Yeah. Uh, and here's one after your own heart, Gil. He was the voice of the parrot in the famous Whisk Ring Around the Collar commercial. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> <laughs> Bob McFadden. Yeah, he was, he was a great guy, too. I worked with him closely for years because, like I said, we worked on the, um, the General Mills uh, cereal commercials. And uh, when I first started doing uh, Cocoa Puffs and Count Chocula, they were doing commercials with all three cereals, all three monster cereals in the same commercial. We wouldn't do individual commercials for Count Chocula or Cocoa Puffs or... Um, Booberry. Booberry, thank you. Yeah. Uh, they would all appear in the same commercial. So Bob and I worked for years uh, on those, and then Thundercats came along, and uh, that took us a year to record that. And then we did Silverhawks, the same uh, company, Rankin Bass. He was on that. He was on... Um, Another one we did called called Tiger Sharks, and then he and I and most of the same cast of those uh, cartoon series did a series of uh, holiday specials for Rankin Bass. Some of them still get aired every year. Yeah, I, I found one, some of them on YouTube. Yeah, one was called A Star for Jeremy. They're and out there. The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus. I remember working with Sir Albert. Tra- Alfred Drake on that. Oh one. wow, yeah. Sir Alfred Drake. Speaking of deep voices, that's cool. Yeah. Since you said Alfred, I want to throw this because I wrote it on a card. Uh, apparently, Count Chocula has a first name. And oh! It, and it's Alfred. I didn't know that. Did you know that? I did. Okay. I did not know that. <laughs> Show no. is educational. I, because, you know why? Because most people just call me the Count. You know, it's, <laughs> who's going to say, hey, Alfred, <laughs> I love your cereal. You know. McFadden was also in Vaughn Meter. He was on Vaughn Meter's first family album. Oh, wow. Yeah, he did a lot of cool stuff. Produced by Earl Dowd, who... Uh, hired me years later to do a Richard Nixon album. Oh. Yeah. Because uh, I was doing a Nixon on Imus's show. Right, sure. This was back in 73, I think. Yeah, 73. I was working in Chicago as a disc jockey, and, and uh, Earl Dowd called me. And I knew his name, you know, from, I mean, the, the first family album, for those who don't know, was uh, about uh, 
John F. Kennedy and his yeah, family. It's and, come up on this show. And at the time, uh, back in that time, it became the largest selling album of all times. Not just comedy albums. The largest selling albums of all time. Oh, he was a, he was very big. He was very good too. And one meter. Who on in the old Warner Brothers cartoons, the Bugs Bunny ones? Mm-hmm. Who did the uh, movie stars like you know where they visit a restaurant? Clark Gable and people Bogart like that. And Gable. I, I don't know. We'll have to dig know. that out. We'll put that out to our listeners. Yeah. Somebody will come up with it. Yeah, I, I don't know who that was. I I remember hearing a story. That one time they hired Peter Lorre to do a Peter Lorre imitation. <laughs> and they said, okay, your first line is, hi, I'm Peter Lorre. And he went, hi, I'm Peter Lorre. <laughs> and, and the guy goes, no, no, no. Hi, I'm Peter yeah. Lorre. Yeah. And he goes, hi, I'm Peter Lorre. <laughs> and he couldn't do Himself. a Peter Lorre imitation. Yeah, because people who do imitations, usually impressions, it, they exaggerate. That's how you get the, uh, you know, like when I started doing Nixon, people who were doing Richard Nixon, most impressionists were doing Richard Nixon's, um, I'm going to be the president. You know, yeah. my name is Richard yeah. Nixon. Well, he never talked like that. Yeah. You know, uh, he talked uh, uh, <clears throat> more like this, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not, people wonder if I'm, if I'm a crook. Well, I, I'm not a crook. Uh, I look like a crook. <laughs> I, I act like a crook, but I'm not a crook. <laughs> so you, so did, you did an album. Yeah. Earl Dowd called me and he said, and I knew who he was, and he said, uh, I'm doing this, this album called The Honest to God, We Really Mean It, Very Last Nixon Album. And this was in maybe August of 73. Mm-hmm. So I fly to New York from Chicago and... Um, um, by the time I get, he's got he's got uh, the rest of the cast. Julie Newmar played uh, Pat Nixon. Wow! wow. Oh, um, man. Yeah, Marsh, Marshall Efron was. I remember was, Marshall Efron. It was David Eisenhower. Oh, Marshall Efron. Marshall Efron. There's a voice. For oh, that. okay. He used to be. There was that show like Great American something. That was the this kids show. Yeah, I know what you're referring yeah. to. And and uh, Marshall Efron was also in a movie I like very much. Uh, Bang the drum slowly. Correct. Right. Yeah, yeah, yes. he worked a lot. Was that about the baseball player? Yeah, oh, yeah. with De Niro. Yeah. And De Niro was played the uh, yeah, the yeah. character, lead yeah. character, and Michael Moriarty. Yeah. So we um, so we we recorded it at Media Sound on Fifty Seventh Street over two nights. We did it four times with four different audiences, and it actually was a pretty good album. But by the time we finished it and got it out, it was like April of seventy four. Well, oh. by that time, everybody knew he was a crook. Right, you know, the clock was ticking. The clock was ticking. We knew he was going to be gone. So it was kind of a bad timing to come out. But I, it was a pretty good album. I'll oh, look for that. Yeah. It Just for the record, just so no one has to correct me, I think it was the Great American Dream Machine. That sounds yes, right. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice reference. I'm trying to remember <laughs> one uh, one of the bits on the album. Couple of, a couple of the bits on the Nixon album, of course, were like parodies. Of, mm-hmm. Like, remember on the first family album where the little girl comes to the White House door and sure. she knocks, somebody opens it and says, can I help you? And she says, um, can the president come out and play? And they say, well, I'm sorry, dear. She's, uh, he's, he's very busy. Oh, well then, what's Lyndon doing? <laughs> <laughs> so we, uh, we reprised that on the Nixon album where the uh, little girl knocks. Um, can the president come out and play? 
And I say, why, yes, yes, I, I can. <laughs> and she says, oh, shit. <laughs> What's the name of this album? I got to find it. It's called, get your pencils out, The Honest to God, yeah, We but... Really Mean It, Very Last Nixon Album. Uh, by, by the producer of First, First, uh, yeah, First Family. By Earl Dowd. And yeah. it was on Brunswick Records. Our, our you know, the, you know the bowling ball sure, company? Sure, sure. <laughs> Brunswick the... Records. That was another bit where... Um, uh, I remember it was um, David uh, with David Eisenhower, Marshall Efron. Marshall comes up to Nixon and he says, uh, Mr. President, I I really uh, hesitate to bring this up. What is it, David? Just spit it out. Well, sir, it's it's kind of embarrassing. He said, look, David, I don't have all day. All right. Got the water at the gate thing going on and all that. So what what is it? He says, well, sir. If you recall, uh, two weeks ago, um, you didn't have any cash when we were out, and I, I lent you $20. He says, uh, <clears throat> oh, yes. Yes, yes, I remember that. I'm so, I'm so sorry. Here, uh, I've only got singles. He says, that, well, that's okay, mister. There you, there you go, David. I'm sorry. And you hear David walking away going, one, two, Three, four, and then then you hear, it's all there, David. (laughs) (laughs) You you know what else I thought as far as getting back to imitations? It's like it's already accepted that we all believe that John Travolta in every one of his movies or in real life Sounds like Vinny Barbarina. <laughs> and that was only once in his career. Right. But yeah. people do a Vinny Barbarino imitation. Yeah, it sticks. And we just yeah. accept that in the Yo, same... Mr. Carter. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Carter. Or another one like that is we all accept that Keanu Reeves sounds like <laughs> Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, no matter what. One yeah. role sticks to them yeah. forever. I want to ask yeah. you something about character voices. Did you ever audition for anything like that, like a character mascot? Uh, uh, well, obviously. Oh, yes. I mean, <laughs> oh, boy. Apart from, the, <laughs> apart from the duck. Yes. <laughs> I'm in an animated. Oh, I just remembered that. Yeah. yeah. Yes. yeah. I'm in an animated one. Did you do a toaster? Uh, yes, I I was a toaster for a Pop Tarts commercial. Okay. <laughs> Wait, can anyone find that? Do you I, have that? Uh, I think I think you could find that okay. on the yeah, YouTube. You can find all, yeah. all those old things I, on YouTube. I you was, always do your own voice. Yeah. Yes, right. I was an elf. Right. For uh, something <clears throat> like Federal Express. Okay. Maybe how about maybe Keebler Cookies? Was it Keebler Cookies? Uh, no, no, never uh. got that account. Uh, but um, the. Let's see. There was that and that. Oh, one time. This is one of those things that I I lost the job without being responsible for it. <laughs> A fluke. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Uh. They were going to make a full-length animated Betty Boop. Oh, and, you never told me this. Yeah. And, and I was looking. They had me come into audition for The Clown. And while I was waiting, I was flipping the pages, and they go to a party where Humphrey Bogart and Edward G. Robinson and Clark Gable and Cary Grant are there. And I said, can can I audition for these? And they said, okay. And I did all these different celebrities, and, and they wanted me. But the movie never got me. Oh, yeah. Oh, damn. yeah. 
Yeah. And I thought, boy, I, uh, how much I would have loved to have done that. Sure. You probably hadn't done a movie before that, had you? Uh, that, yeah. What, I don't... Would that have been your first movie? Yeah. That's why you're probably oh. so disappointed. Yeah. Boom. Yeah, sure. <laughs> boom, boom, boom Boom Burmese from Karate Cat sounded a little like Edward G. Robinson. Am I mistaken? No, no. Boom Boom Burmese sounded like... <laughs> It, was it more sounds a... like a bail negotiation. <laughs> <laughs> what I just did sounded like Mel Brooks. I don't know where that came from. No, 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 wait. Um, I think now I think that Boom Boom was, he was this big fat cat. There was yeah. on a show called. Um, um, was it Karate Cat? Ka- karate Cat. Bob yeah. McFadden was Karate That's Cat. That's right, right. Karate Cat here. And, and, and I was one of his, his gang. He was, you know, like nefarious. Right. And. Um, Big Mama was ran the the, um, the mob, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I remember lines like, uh, "Oh, karate! Here comes Big Mama, and she's not happy." <laughs> you, you, there wasn't a character with you doing an Edward G. Robinson impression. Yeah, I don't think so. I'm mistaken. Okay, could be. Could you, be. There was the frog a... on Courageous Cat was was Edward G. Robinson. Do you remember it, Gil? Oh yes, oh, yes. T- and I was yeah, telling Larry yeah. on the phone that that um, uh, what's his name. Um, Simon Bar Sinister on Underdog was Lionel Barrymore. Oh yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. You do a, you do a great Barrymore. Right now. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I, I do it because there's a lot of kids in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> he, does, he said he does Barry Manilow. <laughs> I heard a great story about Mel Blanc. Well, this first part's not great. He almost died in a car accident. Really, Mel Blanc. Way to lighten the lighten the tone up. Oh yes, <laughs> but he he was in a coma. They thought he was going to die. He was in a coma for the longest time, <laughs> and and a, the doctor kept saying, you know, uh, uh, you know, Mel, Mister Blank, can you please yeah. talk to me? Can you please say hello? And then finally, the doctor uh, went over to him and he said, "I'd like to talk to Bugs Bunny." Oh wow. And he immediately, that's a great story. Lying there in his hospital bed, immediately Bugs Bunny's voice came out. That's amazing. And then he said, Now I'd like to talk to Daffy Duck. And he started doing his Daffy voice. I I was certain, I was certain you were going to say. They told him he wasn't going to make it. He said, "Eh, That's all, folks. I think that's on his headstone. Yes, Mel Blank. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. all, folks. Yeah. Did you ever work with any of those other guys? Did you ever work with I'm Dawes? not that old, Frank. June 4A or <laughs> oh, uh, Dawes Butler or no, Don Messick or any of those? No, June 4A was one of the greatest. She's still with us at like 99 with, yeah. or something. For those of you who remember um, Boris Bedinoff and, and sure. Rocky and Bullwinkle. Sure. Paul Fries. Paul Fries. Well, yeah, it was Boris Yeah, Bedinoff. Paul Fries was also, for about 30 or 40 years, the voice of the um, Pillsbury Doughboy. That's correct. Yeah. And I was just down at the Haunted Mansion in Florida, yeah. in Disney World, and I still have Paul Free's voice oh, when wow, you walk in. Wow. He's been dead 20 years or something when you walk into the mansion. Paul Free's legend was the voice of the Cyclops in the movie The Cyclops with Lon Chaney Jr. He, and, had, he had an unmistakable voice. But his voice in this was like, yeah. it was ridiculous. He, and for this... The Cyclops is too big and dumb to talk. So it was like... (laughs) 
didn't have to have a script. Right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> right, as, as long as we're talking about some of these characters, I'm just going to run through. Can I interject one yeah, thing? Yeah, sure. First? Do you guys, you're the guest. This is a little bit of a trivia question. Probably not to you guys, but do you know who was the the announcer on uh, most of the segments of Rocky and Bullwinkle? Was it oh, Will- that, uh, the William, yeah. uh, William Conrad. Conrad. William yes. Conrad, that's right, yes. from from the Fat Man and... Cannon. Yeah. Oh, Can, Cannon. And Jake and the Fat Man. Jake yeah, and the Fat he, Man, yeah. that, that voice. Yeah. Oh, he had a great voice. I yeah. believe he was Marshall um, Dillon on the radio. He, on the radio he was, yeah. but for obvious reasons, he's not on television. Right. Because yes. there, was, right. The there wasn't a... Marshall Dillon. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't a horse that big. <laughs> but he was the guy, he was the guy who would say... And so, Moose and Squirrel go to the bottom of Veronica Lake. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. Thank you. I like that. <laughs> and now... Let me throw some of these characters now, now who, I used that voice. It just, just occurred to me, I'm sorry, but I used that voice for years without realizing that's who I was doing on Mighty Dog commercials. Oh, that's right. Well, that was in your intro, so let's hear a little Mighty Dog. Carnation presents The Adventures of Mighty Dog. That's all I remember. I love that. <laughs> recognize that one, Gil? <laughs> I've had more than one voiceover guy say to me, oh, I was up for a voiceover gig, and the director said, could you make it more Gilbert Gottfried? Really? <laughs> yeah, and I thought, I'm, I'm available. Well, uh, <laughs> should we get that direction, Larry? Yeah. I bet not. <laughs> no, no, but I, I've, I have been to, and probably a lot of voice actors have, have had the same experience. I have on more than one occasion... Uh, Showed up at an audition where it said, sometimes they give you an idea of the type they want or even the, who they oh, want yes. to sound like. And they said, think of someone. And, and they said, like Larry Kenny. Oh. And I didn't get the job. It's <laughs> like Peter Lorre. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, to this day, I wonder who in the hell sounded more like me than me. I took the liberty of writing out some of your characters, tracking down some of your characters. I have your list here, too, Gilbert. Uh, Boom Boom Bernese, we, Burmese, yeah. we talked about. Uh, Lion-O, of course. We'll have you do some Lion-O right. before we sign off. You were Jackal Man. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we must get the Thundercats, yes. <laughs> what are you doing there? Is that just kind of, sort of like a, a sinister? It's almost a little Paul Winchell. Well, you know, yes, Paul Winchell, speaking yeah. of voices. You know what uh, my inspiration for that was? <laughs> I mean, it sounds... Um, to say my inspiration for this cartoon character, <laughs> uh, uh, I brought deep from within me. I, the name of the character was Jackal Man. Jackal Man, and yeah. the show was half cat and half human characters. Right. So, I remember at the audition, I was thinking, what would a jackal sound like? What well, jackals are supposed to be like very wily, I think, and mm-hmm. you know, sneaky, and then I got this thought in my head of speaking of Rocky and Bullwinkle, of um, not Boris Badenoff, but the other villain. Remember? Um, Hello, Nell. Oh, um, uh, Snidely oh, Whiplash. Snidely Whiplash. Yes. So I combined Dudley the two and kind of made it. I kind of combined them, and it came out. Uh, we must get the Thundercats. Yes. <laughs> Very good. What about Safari Joe? Oh, so, well, it's, that's pretty obvious. Safari Joe here. He was Australian, you know. I don't know why I'm not doing an Australian voice, but uh, <laughs> it was good enough. I'm, I'm doing I'm doing uh, Alfred Drake again, East London right. for some reason. And Snarf uh, Egbert, Snarf Egbert. Well, Snarf on Thundercats was just he didn't talk. It was just meow. Oh, it was just a meow. Snarf, Snarf, Snarf. And 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 Wizra. 
Oh, God. That's one of them. You know, I don't remember. <laughs> well, we did. There were five of us in the cast of Thundercats, and we did 130 episodes. And there were always new characters, you know. So each of us in the cast over the term of the, the series probably did 50, 60, maybe 100 voices, you know. Um, in fact, I recall a number of occasions where they, they would come up with a new voice, and we would all try it, and it took us a while to get one that didn't sound like a voice we had done before as one of the lunatics or whatever, right. you know, or one of the rober burbles, you know. And also, uh, there were characters who appeared, let's say, early in the series and, and then didn't appear for 30, 30 episodes and came back, you know, in episode 125. And who remembers then what you did for it? It was a minor character. It maybe had two or three lines, you know. But the kids remember. Of course. You know, I go to these Comic-Cons all the time, and, and people come up who were kids then. Now, you know, now they're 35 years old. <laughs> They'll say, like, Mr. Kenny, remember in episode 126? Uh, and I'm going, oh, Jesus, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one, you know, where Lionel jumps out of the tank, the thunder tank, you know, and he's got uh, the Sword of Omens, you know, in his right hand, right? Okay, next shot, Boom. Swords in his left hand. What's <laughs> up with that? <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're upset about <laughs> continuity errors in Thundercats. I would answer something like, well, you see, one of uh, Lionel's uh, other superpowers was that he could transform into a mirror image of himself. <laughs> Figure it out. <laughs> I. What was that? I think we've discussed this cartoon. That There was a cartoon that took place in the jungle... And there was a bird that sounded like Jack Lemon. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Well, uh, Carl, Carl Reiner did a did an animated show uh, that I think was Jungle Characters. Would that I, would that would that be the one? Maybe. Maybe. But the bird was a, a yeah. Jack Lemon. We'll throw it out to our listeners. Somebody will definitely. Or our crack well, you, researcher Paul you, Reburn. You did a bird in in. Uh, uh, in Aladdin. Aladdin. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I remember that. I was a small child when it came out. <laughs> All right, Gil, here we go. Here's 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 some of your uh, your repertoire of, uh, oh, of animation voices. Iago, of course, which uh, uh, Larry just brought up. Mr. Peabody in the in the oh, the Problem Child cartoons. That cartoon was made in I think in Spain or something. Okay, well, wasn't that a part of uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle? It was. Peabody here. Oh, oh yes, no, Mr. that was Sherman the dog. Sherman and Peabody. Yeah. 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 Sherman, Sherman, uh, set the way back machine to 1847. Pretty good. Thank you. Pretty good. Uh, Edward Everett Horton also did those voices oh, for yes. the Fra- oh, Fractured yeah. Fairy well, Tales. Well, he was the announcer on right. Fractured Fairy Tales. How about this? Uh, two bits you played on a show called Bonkers. Any of these have any memory oh, for you? Oh, yes, yes, I did. I did do a voice on Bonkers, M- my usual. Mike McNasty. Mike McNeil. <laughs> another character. Familiar. You played Mr. Beetle? Mr. Beetle, that was in <laughs> Thumbelina. Okay. How about Jerry the Belly Button Elf? Uh, that was in uh, what's, what's, uh, with, what's, what's the name of Ren those? Ren and Stimpy. Ren and Stimpy. <laughs> Ren and Stimpy. I, I have it on the card. I was Jerry the Belly Button Elf. And so. <laughs> what the hell is a belly okay, button elf? Yeah, he sees this elf that lives in a belly He's button. made out of lint. And and they originally they wanted Jerry Lewis and he he wouldn't do it, so I came in I and I would do my regular voice and then I go, and I'm gonna go in the belly 
button and live and eat my lint loaf. <laughs> dinner! Dinner! Hurry up, boy! I want my dinner! Uh, right away, your majesty, sir. Stimpy, before I eat, a toast to you, my houseboy. My man Friday. You came into the emptiness that was your belly button, and you filled it with the love and the joy and the thing. And as we all know, an elf without the love and the joy and the thing is no elf at all. And so, a toast to you, Stimpy, and this lovely meal of Lintloaf. Lintloaf. I, I once did a, um, Jerry, Jerry Lewis was in on Broadway in Damn Yankees yes. for a while. And, and I, at that time, was doing a lot of Broadway show commercials for Nancy Coyne, Serena Coyne and Nappy. And we, we I finished one, you know, got the tape they liked on it. Uh, so uh, call Telecharge to see, you know, to see Jerry Lewis on Broadway in Damn Yankees. Call now. <laughs> so they, they said, they said, okay, Larry, we got it. And I said, okay, good, but um, could we just keep rolling? Because I, I have an idea. You, uh, in case he ever comes back, you know. To they, yeah. So Nancy knew me, and she went, Larry wants to play. Okay, go ahead. So I went, so see Jerry Lewis on Broadway in My Fair Lady. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't resist. Couldn't help it. You were Art DeSalvo in Duckman? Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, you were Alfalfa. This may be my favorite of your credits. The High Fructose Adventures of Annoying Orange. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. That's a Cesar Romero uh, yeah, uh, yeah. motif. Uh, of course, Horace the Rat. Your Krang Subprime on, uh, on uh, uh, Teenage Ninja Mutant Ninja Turtles. Turtles. Digit on uh, Cyber... Uh, Cyber Chase. Cyber Chase. Uh, and this was this may be my favorite. Well, of course, Mr... How do you say it? The Superman? Mrs. Picklick. Mrs. Picklick, you were. And uh, last but not least, Odiferous Stench on a show called Bump in the Night. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think I was a stink bug. And... <laughs> You know, <laughs> Gilbert, you should be the you should be a guest you should be a guest on this. <laughs> and I could I could do the, if you if you You'll, would I could oh. do the announcer thing. You've heard him as the elf with the in the belly button elf. He was in the bump in the night thing. <laughs> it's Gilbert meets Sherry there. It's just a little it's like and a hybrid. And now he's here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys want to try something crazy? Uh, what? This hasn't been crazy enough for you? Uh, let's see. Gilbert? You can, you can do You can do Grandpa Joe. This is a scene from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. All right. But we're going to change it. We're going to recast it. Okay. Uh-oh. So, Gil, you can either do, uh, I guess, Jerry. Uh, you could do Jerry. You could do James Mason. Or you could do Jerry Seinfeld, whatever you're feeling. Oh, okay. I'll do Seinfeld. And I <laughs> thought our guest of oh, honor... My. Would do his uh, his wonderful George C. Scott. Oh, okay. Well, my George C. Scott that I did on Imus for thirty five years was, uh, 
an, actually an impression of um, George C. Sc- yeah. yeah, yeah, Patton doing uh, George doing C. Scott. George C. Scott. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, it'll I, work here. I said I'd do Seinfeld. You're going to change it, but I had a couple of people say <laughs> they were very angry because on a on a recent episode we mentioned James Mason. Yeah, and I didn't do my James Mason imitation. That person was mistaken. He just didn't listen to enough of the episode. Oh! It was the Benjamin episode. Oh, I got the same tweet. Oh, okay. So which would you prefer, Mason or Seinfeld? I think I'd like to hear uh, you do Jerry Seinfeld. There. Okay. And I'm Grandpa? Your Grandpa Joe, which was, I think, Jack Albertson. Yes. Oh, and, and I'm Willy Wonka. And yeah, and uh, Larry is Willy Wonka. As George C. Scott. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> All right. You'll indulge me. <laughs> of course. Mr. Wonka. I am extraordinarily busy, sir. I just want to ask about the chocolate, the, the lifetime supply of chocolate for Charlie Wonka. When does he get it? He doesn't. Why not? Because he broke the rules. <laughs> what rules? We didn't see any rules, did we, Charlie? Wrong, sir. Wrong. Under Section 37B of the contract signed by him, it states quite clearly that all offers shall become null and void if, and you can read it for yourself in this photostatic copy, I, the undersigned, shall forfeit all rights, privileges, and licenses herein, and herein contained, etc., etc., fax mentis incendium gloria cultum, etc., etc., memo buys punitor delicatum. It's all there, black and white, clear as crystal. You stole lifting drinks. You bumped into the ceiling, which now has to be washed and sterilized, so you get nothing. You lose. That is all. Good day, sir. <laughs> You're a crook. You're a cheat. And a swindler. That's what you are. (laughs) How could you do something like this? Build up a little boy's hopes and then smash all his dreams to pieces. You're an inhuman monster. I said good day. That's here for the writer. Yeah, <laughs> Padre. I didn't write it. I just pulled it off the internet, and, and I looked uh, for a movie scene that I thought would work. We had some success with Gilbert and Mario Cantone doing Carol oh, Channing yes. and uh, <laughs> Irvi Vilashaz and When Harry Met Sally. So, t- just talk a little bit about Imus as we wind down and how you got there. And you had been developing these voices in radio over the years, yeah. impressions before you ever got to Imus. Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, because you were a DJ forever. Before you got <laughs> Seems like it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, as Gilbert mentioned, uh, I started in radio when I was 15. And um, very soon thereafter began using character voices and you know, cartoon voices on my disc jockey show. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, I worked at Peoria and Fort Wayne. And then I went to Cleveland, Ohio uh, on the WKYC. And NBC owned and operated 50,000-watt station. I was there for three years, and for the first year, or first two years I was there, Don Imus was at an opposing station doing the morning show. I was doing afternoons on KYC. He was on uh, WGAR, I think, mm-hmm. doing, doing uh, the morning show. And uh, so then he left to come to New York, to WNBC, and uh, I left to go to Chicago to do a morning show. A couple weeks after I'm there in Chicago, I get a call from... Uh, Imus's engineer, who had been my engineer in Cleveland, 
because it was NBC. Oh, that's fun. Walt Ryan. And he said, hey, I was talking to Don during the show today, and, and Don said to me, you were at KYC, right? He said, yeah. He said, um, he said, Larry Kenny was there. I used to listen to Larry Kenny all the time. And he was, his voices were fantastic. Where is he now? And Walt said, I think he's, he's in New York. And I must said, why don't you call him and see if he'd want to do bits on my show on the telephone. So Walt called me. And then for a year, right almost to the day, uh, I would, Don would call me every morning during the newscast. We both had a newscast on the air at the same time. And he would call me and he'd say, let's do a Nixon today. Uh, do something. We'd add liberty. He'd say, do Nixon. Uh, this was during the Watergate thing. Yeah. This was in 73. He said, um, okay, let's do a bit, something, improvise something about what happened yesterday, you know, when, when they found you do have tapes or something like that. So we would do that for, he paid me 50 bucks a day, I remember. So I did that for a whole year. And then I got a, a job in New York on the radio, WHN. Sure, I remember when you were on there. Yeah. So I came out and um, was on WHN while he was on. WNBC, and um, then after a while, he hired me to, you know, start doing bits on a regular basis on his show. So, had you brought all those characters with you? I mean, had the, the General Patton and Nixon, no, and, no, and no. Uh, Andy Rooney, no, uh, no, Charles McCord, who was the newsman on the show, wrote all my every every script I ever did on Imus, and um, we would just come up with new characters whenever they popped into our minds, you know. Who can we do this guy? Right, as, right, or, right. You know. Cosell or. Yeah. Howard Cosell, yes, did him for years. There, right there. Look at that little monkey run. <laughs> he, got little oh, <laughs> he got in trouble for that. Oh, jeez. He got trouble for that. Alvin Garrett was yeah. the player. <laughs> Which was really a shame. <laughs> I know. Because, you know, th- that's what Howard Cosell called his grandkids, the little monkeys. You know? Right. And he was anything but a racist. He wasn't but, thinking about the ethnicity. But of times the, as they being a, what they were, you know, he got. You know, it probably ruined his yeah, career. Yeah, you didn't do Imus. You never did the Imus show because you were a Howard guy. Oh uh, yeah, no, it was different yeah. camps. Yeah, how long were you there? You were there, good, good run with Imus. Yeah, thirty-five years. Yeah, seventy-three to two thousand eight. Yeah, yeah. Now Howard, I remember the day that Howard uh, started at uh, WNBC doing afternoons. And yeah, there was some. Uh, they did. They they were oil and water. Those two. Yeah. Well, what happened was I was sitting in the office when it happened. And this was at a time, this was in probably, I don't know, 82, 82, something like that. I forget when Howard came. But we were sitting in Don's office at uh, 30 Rock. And um, at that time, Don was having some issues with drinking and drugs, you know, and things like that. And he was not pleasant to be around. And one day, Howard, this new kid, strolled into the office and said, hi, guys, how you doing? Well, Imus went ballistic. And he said, Get the F out of my office. What the, who the hell do you think you are? Get out of here. And we were all shocked that he would do that. So Howard left, and to this day, from what I understand, has not forgiven Don Imus. Oh, for, no. Yeah, he I, hates him with yeah. passion. Yeah. Yeah. And Don over the years has expressed sympathy, uh, uh, regret for what he said, says, you know, because he doesn't drink anymore and do drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, Howard, it really hurt Howard badly, you know? I don't think that's a piece that's going to be easily brokered. No, yeah. I don't yeah. think so. Yeah. Why bother? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got a question. This comes from one of our listeners. This is We have a, a new feature on our Patreon page where people get to uh, donate a little bit of money and ask the guest a question. Mm. We call it Grill the Guest. 
So Eric Rhein, H-R-H-E-I-N, wants to know from Larry, where do you rank Gilbert uh, among celebrity impressionists? Number one. <laughs> uh, with a bullet. <laughs> does, this, does this guy really think that I'm going to sit here and, and, uh, next to Gilbert? Well, I would, I would say top 50. I don't know. Uh, you know, Gilbert Gilbert does one of the best James Masons in the business. I've heard that. Have him do it a little, a little bit. And he did it for Rich Little. Oh, yeah? And Rich Little actually said, Gilbert, don't quit your day job. Really? Which was really unfair. Yeah. Wow. Considering your James Mason is stellar. A few people. Yeah, and, and our, fa- our fans were in an uproar. Tanner, my son, has told me about your James yeah. Mason. Tanner what? is, yeah. Do a, do, a, do, a, do a touch of James Mason for, uh, hey. Dr. Mangler, <laughs> your plan has been canceled. <laughs> Isn't that great? great? That is great. Yeah. I think I heard you doing that on the Benjamin thing, uh, Richard Benjamin thing. Oh, yeah. Because he did he, a little right. Because you did two different things, and he said, it, he said, well, now you're doing the the later. the later. Oh, uh, yes. The, the, the early one. Oh, well, the later ones uh, was James Mason with... Um, it's your destiny, Joe. <laughs> you can't be Joe Fonsworth anymore. <laughs> That's good. That is good. Oh, uh, so before we get the hell out of here, we got to ask you about Bowling for Dollars because you and I talked about yeah. it over the telly. Yeah. Well, and it's a, it's a legendary show here yeah. in New York. You, you told me it was a regional show before yeah. we turned the mics on. Mm-hmm. You were saying that there are hosts all around the country. I didn't know Wink Martindale hosted it. And I'm pretty sure he did. Jim Lang of yeah. the Dating Game. Yeah, I know Jim Lang did in San Francisco, I believe. You you filled the the shoes of of the legendary New York Mets sportscaster Bob Murphy, who Liter- I grew up on. Literally, the day I walked in, the first time I walked into the, um, we filmed at the uh, Madison Square Garden Bowling Center, which is not there anymore. And my dressing room was the manager's office. So the first day we're taping, I go in there, and he shows me to my, you know, the little room. And I open the closet door to hang my, you know, I had to have five suits and sport coats with me. We taped five shows on one, in one day, every Friday. Because the show was on every night, Monday through Friday. I remember. And um, so I open this closet door, and I put my hanger up, and I look down, and there's this little tiny pair of sh- men's shoes loafers with enormously high heels <laughs> i don't not i don't mean high heels like a woman's high lifts lifts oh yeah you know, he was a diminutive fellow. he was a small guy yes he was yeah so i literally followed in his footsteps you were probably just in the bob murphy uh, memorial record well gilbert was at a game gilbert was at a met game and they brought him into the booth you were uh, probably in the bob Mur- murphy oh, memorial probably. broadcast booth and you didn't even know it but he was the first host and then larry came along and uh, Gilbert was asking Larry before we turned the mics on if the contestants were ever boozed up. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we got, we got, I mean, the thing is, unlike the big game shows on television where you have to audition, you know, sometimes three or four times you have to audition and they want people that are just right for their show. They want enthusiasm. I auditioned know. for Jeopardy twice and they Did, never called me and I passed the test both times. No kidding. Never put me on the show. Did you ever find out why? Uh, uh, because of the, because white males in their 30s, uh, which I was at the time, they have a lot of those. So they're uh-huh. trying they're trying to they're trying to create diversity in their contestants. Paybacks, so, paybacks a bitch. Yeah, I was too typical. 
this show, uh, all you had to do to get on, on the show is send in a postcard. And if, you, if post, your postcard was picked out of the pin pal barrel, you would be on the show. And we never saw the guests until the, the day they arrived at, at the taping. I mean, there was no pre-checking of them or any background <laughs> checks, you know. So we got, you can imagine, all kinds of people. Um, we got one kid, I remember, <clears throat> he was only about 19 years old, and he, uh, he was scared to death. I always, before the show, I would sit down individually with each contestant uh-huh. for a couple of minutes, asking them the questions, you know, uh, so that I could, I could ask them questions when they came out on the show. And I, I had cue cards, and I would write, you know, he's from Brooklyn, wife's name is, okay. So this kid, I could tell he was nervous at the pre-interview, but not terribly, you know. So he's the first, and, uh, the first contestant on the show. Show opens, and I do my little spiel, and I say, okay, so let's meet our first contestant tonight on Bowling for Dollars, uh, Paul Martin from Brooklyn, New York. And at that point, the door would open behind me. There was a guy back there, actually, who opened the door and closed it. <laughs> Somebody's door. job. Yeah. A union yeah. job. And and then the guest would supposed to walk out. So the door opens, and he's standing there like... <laughs> so I, I walk back, and I reach out to shake his hand so that I could pull him out. You know, I had to drag him out into the... <laughs> it's like Ralph on the chef of the Oh, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, it can Corey Apple. Yeah. <laughs> so I pull him out there and I said, Paul, welcome to the show. Um, um, what, what, kind of, what kind of work do you do? And he goes, um, uh, you know, different kinds. Uh, two questions I realize I'm not going to get anything out of this kid, so... The last thing we did with each contestant is say, who did you bring with you today to, you know, to cheer you on? And then the camera would go on with their people in the audience. He said, well, Larry, I brought my mother and my father. I said, all right, let's meet them. And the camera goes on these lovely old couples and they're waving, you know. And I said, introduce them to us, Paul. And he goes, okay, that's my mother and that's my father. <laughs> It's time to hit the jackpot on Bowling for Dollars, New York's big money and big prize game show where everyone is a winner. And now for all the fun and excitement, here's the man with all the dollars and all the prizes, the kingpin himself, your host, Larry Kinney. and one more if I can. Go, there, was a, go, there was go, a guy. Sure. There was a guy who I recall that I didn't have much time to to speak with him because we were on the last show of the day and we were running late, you know. So I only had time to ask him a couple of questions. And he comes out with this and this. What kind of work to do? Blah 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 blah. blah. And 
I always ask in the pre-interview, are you married? Or something, but I didn't have a chance to ask this, this guy. So, uh, big mistake. I said, uh, so, um, Tyrone, are you married? He said, well, yeah. And I said, uh, what's your wife doing? He says, I don't know. I ain't seen the bitch in three years. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing it wasn't live. Oh, yeah. Oh, two things. Oh, did you ever know Paul Winchell? No, no, never met him. And oh, and and I don't think you told your Bogart story on the air. Yeah, tell it. Uh, no, we had the mic off. You told us. Oh, before. is that right? Man, we weren't on. Oh, okay. It's, it's worth it's, telling. It's, well, it's not a great story. It just it, it, it's um, Bob Fosse was doing a movie with uh, Dustin Hoffman, and I forget. It, it seems like it was Bette Midler, but I, I don't know. I don't think the movie ever came out because I've tried to find it, and I, and I don't know what the name of it was, but. Apparently, uh, Dustin Hoffman was supposed to, he had a line in the movie that he was supposed to do as Bogart. And um, the line was, stick with me, sweetheart, and I'll have your tits in cement in front of Rowan's Chinese Theater. <laughs> <laughs> so I do the audition, you know, and, and Bob Fosse likes it. And um, so a couple of days later, I get a call, go back, he's going to, so I go back and record again. And he says, um, I, want, I want to use this later, but I have to, I have to get Lauren's approval. Lauren McCall. So I said, okay. So I went to lunch and um, come back, and I see her leaving the building, Lauren McCall. Okay. I go up there, and he says, I said, did she, did she like it? He says, Larry, I played it for her. She, she turned around, and there was a tear in her eye, and she said, my God, bogey's back. Wow. Yeah, wow, oh, that's what I thought. Man. Wow, how can you can't get much better than that, right? I'm going to put this out to our listeners too. Find this movie, this Bob <laughs> Fosse. I've looked. It wasn't <laughs> Lenny. It, it wasn't Lenny, which ma- which came out. No, with, Dun- with Dustin Hoffman, something in development, something that kind of died on the vine. I that's guess. right. It was Hoffman and, and, and Lenny, but it wasn't yeah. that one. It was after that. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Now we're going to go out on a song. You guys up for one more? Sure. All right, Frankie. This is going to be a Paul Lynn duet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh, wonderful. <laughs> this ought to be good. <laughs> we go, we'll try to keep it to the karaoke track, but if you go off of it, don't worry about it. Yeah, so, I don't know if I remember how the music goes, but I'll uh, we got a little accompaniment. Gil, you want to start so us off? So this will be very anti-Semitic. This is what I heard. Paul Lynn, he used to get drunk on on Hollywood Square. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And... and <laughs> As, as Katie and Tanner are, and, are toasting and, us outside the window. And, and like everyone else was would drink too, but they'd be lovable drunks joking yeah, back yeah. and forth. Paul Lynn was extremely anti-Semitic. Really? And he would get drunk and he'd be sitting there at the table with the nice celebrities and he'd be going, Oh, those fucking Jews. <laughs> They're the reason I don't have a career. No. We've had that confirmed. Oh, my God. I remember my favorite line he ever said when he was the center square is, Paul, for the win, uh, why do cowboys wear leather chaps? He goes, oh, because taffeta wrinkles. (laughs) I think there was a great line. One time they had Don Knotts in the original Hollywood Squares. And the question was, you can't, you have trouble sleeping nights. Are you a man or a woman? And he goes, 
That's why I have trouble sleeping nights. <laughs> Fantastic. He was incredible. Oh, he you guys, okay, you want to give this a whirl? So I'm, oh, yeah. I, you're the I, G and I he's guess. the L. <laughs> oh, is that how it okay. goes? Okay. Yeah, you'll each read a section. Well, mine's going to sound like L anyway, no matter how I do it. So Okay. Maybe. <laughs> You want to? You want maybe be a Poland. You could do the cuckoo for God. Uh, let's see. Okay. Uh, now. Okay. Okay. Here we, we go. Both do Poland. Here's right. Paul Lynn. Okay. Okay. Kids, I don't know what's wrong with these kids today. Kids who can understand anything they say. Kids, they're disobedient, disrespectful oafs, noisy, crazy, sloppy, lazy loafers. While we're on the subject, kids, you can talk and talk till your face is blue. Kids, but they still do just what they want to do. Why can't they be like we were? Perfect in every way. What's the matter with kids today? Oh, don't get me started. Kids, <laughs> I've tried to raise them the best I could. Kids, laughing, where's the music? <laughs> laughing, singing, dancing, grinning, morons. And while we're on the subject, kids, they're, they're just, just impossible, impossible to, to control. control. Kids, kids with their, with their awful, awful clothes, clothes and their rock and, and roll. roll. <laughs> Why can't Why they, can dance they dance like, like we did? What's, What's wrong with Sammy K? K? What's the matter with kids today? <laughs> That's a hit. That's a hit. <laughs> <laughs> It was so far removed from the music. <laughs> it doesn't even matter. Uh, Frank, if you can sew that together, you're a genius. Oh, my God. This was fun. It was great. Larry, good time. Oh, thank we you. Wanna, you. We want to acknowledge, too, that your your son, your talented son, Tanner, yes, is here. Who's also a great impressionist. And and your your daughter-in-law, Katie. Yeah, uh, t- uh, talented people, and your your daughter is a is a comedian. She was on the stage. Yes, she was on Viva Variety. Right. Yes. Carrie, currently on the Two Broke Girls, occasionally, and a talented family. Yeah, yeah, we think so. And I want to thank Frank Rosa for hey, uh, Frank. For, for suggesting uh, Larry as a guest. Larry said he'd give me a fifty. So I. <laughs> <laughs> do they still make those? <laughs> Did you do Lion O on Family Guy? Last yeah, question. I did. One, yeah, one episode I did. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. kind of a funny line. The uh, idea was um, the star of the show. What's his name? Um, the the old man, the guy, Seth, Seth MacFarlane. No, 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 no. I mean, no. Uh, I know he's the oh, oh, creator. You're Peter Griffin. Peter, yeah. Peter, and and I think the um, uh, one of the other guys is in San Francisco, and they're in the car, and the uh, Peter says. Uh, yeah, but you find a lot of weird couples uh, living together in this town, huh? huh? He flashed to an apartment where Lionel and Chitara and Snarf are living. <laughs> so Lionel is standing there deep in thought. And, uh, oh, and Chitara walks through the room and she says, uh, what's, what's going on, Lionel? He says, I don't know, but I have a feeling that Mumra's up to something. Whatever it is, it can't be good. She says, I'm going to the John. So she goes in the bathroom. Lionel takes out the Sword of Omens, which gives him sight beyond sight, and he points it toward the, the bathroom door <laughs> and says, 
Sight beyond sight. <laughs> <Sort of old. laughs> and Snarf comes through and says, What you doing, Lionel? And Lionel says, Oh, nothing. Just, uh, you want to get stoned? <laughs> <laughs> so you were, and you, go, you were a horse on Family Guy. Uh, yes. Yeah, so you both did Family Guy. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I remember, like, the horse shows, like, the horse saves Peter from being lynched down south. Mm. And then he goes, uh, Horsey, you saved my life. And I go, no problem, Peter. <laughs> and and then he goes, wow, Gilbert Godfrey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. I love it. Uh, we, we could go on, Larry, but. Well, it was great. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate well, it. I'm exhausted from laughing. Jeff, fun? I had a great time. Good. I really did. Thank you both, and thanks, Frank, out there. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Tanner. Uh, Thank so you, Andrew. I'm Gilbert Gottfried. This has been Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre, And we've had one of the greatest voiceover guys in the business, Larry Kenny. <laughs> The God of Voices. That's funny. (laughs) Thanks, Larry. This was a a kick for us. This is Gilbert Gottfried on Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast with my co-host, Frank Santapadre. And Frank Verderosa is our engineer on the control board. And our special guest today... The wonderful, incredible, well, he's, 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 he's not bad. <laughs> Voiceover artist extraordinaire and all around the nice guy, Larry Kenny. <laughs> Thank you and good night. Thanks, Larry. <laughs> that ought to hold a little bastard. <laughs> You know where that's from, right? Yes. What's that? Like Uncle Don. Yes. Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast is produced by Dara Gottfried and Frank Santapadre with audio production by Frank Verderosa. Our researchers are Paul Rayburn and Andrea Simmons. Web and social media is handled by Mike McPadden, Greg Pear, Nancy Chinchar, and John Bradley Seals. Photography by Charles Eshelman. Special audio contributions by John Beach. Special thanks to John Murray, John Fodiatis, and Nutmeg Creative. Especially Sam Giovanco and Daniel Farrell for their assistance.